You're listening to a Discourse ZA production. Hello, I'm Bronwyn Williams and welcome back to The Small Print. And today my guest is Manish Bal. So to start off with, we always ask our guests to please introduce themselves the way they would prefer to be introduced. So please, Manish, take it away. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bronwyn. My name is Manish Behel and I head the Center for the Future of Work in Asia-Pacific with Cognizant. So we are basically a think tank for Cognizant and our charter is to figure out how the future of work, future of jobs, future of everything, you know, will evolve in the times to come. And for that, we engage with academia, with economists, with the, you know, analyst community and other stakeholders that are there in the market to make sense of the changes that are happening around us and how the future of uh, you know, work, future of everything will be restructured, reimagined and reconfigured in the times to come. So glad to be part of today's show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. And of course, we met through the compilation of The Future Starts Now, where you were one of the contributors in the book that I co-edited with Theo Priestley. So we should start there. What was the chapter that you submitted for that? Because it was clearly an issue that was on your mind at the time. So it's probably a good place to start to get a window into your mind and to what you're seeing ahead when it comes to the future. Yeah, sure. So the chapter that I contributed you know, as part of the book, right, was information overload, right? So just think about it. What's the first thing when we, you know, we do when we wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night? So probably check our phone, isn't it? <laughs> so with the more devices at hand, you know, we are consuming ex- excessive information in a bed not to be left behind. So more information than our brains can actually process, resulting in an anxiety, mental fatigue, you know, depression, anger, and the possibility possibly contributing to society's dumbing down in general. If you look at, you know, the human attention span is decreasing by 88% every year and now stands at just eight seconds, eight seconds, that's it. So today, 45% of human behavior centers on unthinking tasks. So just think about it, you know, we over rely on GPS to get to well-known landmarks, you know, even if we have lived in the same city all our lives. So we are more interested in knowing the name of the new royal baby than whether or not there is a severe issue with climate change. So we have started to drown in the sea of information that keeps us distracted from our real world problems. And that's exactly this chapter is all about uh, how exactly we are experiencing this information overload and what could be the possible you know, scenarios, solutions that we can look at to overcome the information, uh, you know, overload and to leave the world, you know, in a better shape for our future generations. That's a great point to carry on with. And I did want to ask you, what what were your thoughts when it comes to information overload and its effect on democracy, the democratic project that we are trying to sort of formulate for ourselves one generation at a time? Right. If you look at definitely, you know, on the democracy front, right, obviously all the tech platforms, social media platforms that we use, uh, you know, today, uh, they have so much power to influence, you know, anyone's thinking, anyone's thought process. So definitely, yes. Uh, What we really need is, right, uh, we really need to have some, uh, you know, uh, some some policing or maybe, you know, some ways to control the information that is being spread, you know, around us. The biggest issue, right, with the uh, information that we are consuming is not the information, but actually misinformation, you know, uh, because uh, whether we like it or not, but the reality is uh, all of us have uh, unintentionally, you know, forwarded, retweeted or shared fake news or misinformation in online. 
So unfortunately, fake news and misinformation have become part of the endless feeds, you know, that we consume on a daily basis, contributing to the new global crisis that the WHO, the World Health Organization, terms the infodemic. So the infodemic of information that is happening around us and how. So with just a few clicks and forwards, you know, dangerous and misinformation can go viral, resulting in us trusting or distrusting a government or a particular brand, misdiagnosing, you know, ourselves or failing to seek proper treatment and panic buying, you know, certain items for fear of shortages, uh, thereby creating a shortage. So definitely, yes, right, this infodemic, this misinformation virus is spreading, you know, very, very fast, influencing our thinking, influences uh, the, the way we, you know, take decisions, right, and obviously will have some impact on democracy as well. So what are some of the things that we could do to mitigate the effects of that mis and disinformation creeping into our systems? And as you so rightly point out, influencing our decisions because we rely on that mis and disinformation or whatever information we receive from the various platforms and tools that we use in order to simplify decision-making you know, processes because it allows us to save time and be more efficient. So we rely more and more on this information on the one hand, but on the other hand, as you point out, that information is becoming less and less high quality and less and less guaranteed to be, shall we say, co correlated with the truth. So what are some of the things we can do to mitigate that spiraling vicious cycle? Right. So I would say that it's only, you know, a tech vendor's responsibility or government's responsibility. I believe a collective effort from tech companies, brands, uh, you know, organizations, governments and individuals is actually required to minimize uh, the impact of, uh, you know, misinformation virus. Because today, right, uh, one of the third party research says that 56% of consumers are concerned about what is or isn't real, you know, online. And it's not easy, you know, to spot a, you know, fake story. How can we tell if we are being influenced, you know, by a misleading content or, you know, any, any information, right? So, so definitely uh, vendors, major tech vendors are beginning to doing their part to minimize the spread of the misinformation virus. To give you a couple of examples, WhatsApp has created a fact-checking tool that lets users, you know, research frequently forwarded messages on Google. So Twitter launched a birdwatch in January, you know, this year, a crowdsourcing tool that enables users to append information, you know, the informative context or factual mm -hmm. corrections, you know, to misleading uh, tweets. And uh, the supplementary information appears as notes, uh, which other birdwatch users read according to, you know, helpfulness. So efforts from tech vendors, right, are there definitely yes, but what we really need is more of a collective, you know, information. And that's where organizations, whether you are a bank or a retailer, you really need to do a, you know, much, uh, you know, better job. And that's where one of our earlier research, you know, revealed that consumers are more likely to trust recommendations uh, that is coming from, you know, your third party, your search engines, your e-commerce sites, your mobile apps, your variables, smart speakers, and other AI powered systems, then information directly provided by governments or businesses via their websites. So that's scary, right? And that's where, uh, you know, we really need to look at some of the initiatives, you know, some companies are doing. To give you an example, the Finland-based healthcare services, uh, you know, company, uh, Turvey's Tallow, Turvey's Tallow, uh, they launched the Essential Influencers campaign, calling on social media platforms to create a verified badge 
to highlight scientists, doctors, and public health officials providing accurate, unbiased, and relevant information about uh, you know the virus. So definitely, yes. What we really need is a more collective effort, right? Because tech, uh, you know, platforms or governments they can't do it all by themselves. What we really need is a collective efforts. Okay, so you made two points there that I want to go back on. The first one was talking about fact checkers. So the question there that I have for you, so let's start with that. What happens when it comes to fact checking these fact checkers? Because I certainly know from myself, just doing my own desktop research, it's quite easy to point out that some of the more reputable fact checkers, I'm not going to mention because I don't want to turn this into a, a name dropping session, sometimes fact check facts incorrectly and have had to go back and backtrack on that going into the future. So who is fact-checking these fact-checkers and how can we trust these so-called trusted authorities? Because we're all looking for shortcuts for heuristics, which is what this conversation is all about. So whether you're trusting the algorithm that is feeding you with convenient information or whether you're trusting this sort of third-party fact-checking entity, we're still having to defer trust to another entity, but we don't necessarily have the skills to interrogate their accuracy as an end user. How do we avoid this? Because are we not just pushing the problem from, from one corner to another? Or are there ways around this from your perspective? Yeah, that's a very good point that you raised. If you look at the most dangerous aspect of uh, you know, today's uh, uh, you know, uh, aspect uh, in today's society is that we do not have any policing body to check facts, you know, on the internet. And that's where what we really need is, uh, you know, some sort of uh, a governance, right, some guidelines, some policies, right, to ensure that uh, there is a central authority uh, keeping a close eye on these, uh, you know, fact checkers and other, you know, uh, platforms that are there providing all the information to us. So there is no straight answer to it, to be honest, right, because this is something which is still evolving. And uh, I hope that over the next, uh, you know, few years, governments are going to take cognizance of, uh, you know, this misinformation virus and uh, take more proactive measures in terms of, uh, you know, putting up an authority, creating guidelines, policies, so on and so forth, uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, the consumer interest, the citizen interest, uh, you know, is, is uh, intact. But meanwhile, you know, that's where organizations need to be more proactive in safeguarding, you know, their, their customers. And uh, they can do that, you know, by providing the information that is relevant, ensuring that the information that is being spread, uh, you know, on social media platforms related to their products or services, right, it's uh, double-checked and it's foolproof and consumers are getting the right set of information. So that's where I think, uh, you know, organizations, social Social media teams need to do a better job in putting up, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, scenarios to ensure that the information that is being spread online is, uh, you know, foolproof. But uh, yeah, definitely, yes. Uh, you know, as I said, there is no clear answer to it. This is a gray area. And hopefully over the next few years, we'll see governments taking more proactive role in, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the, the fact checking of these fact checkers. Yeah, it's such a complicated question there. I mean, previously, before we had the decentralized internet where we got all our information from social media and everything else, we had bodies like the Associated Press that would essentially veto the news that went through to all the news agencies. But again, they did sometimes function as a single point of failure if they were used and manipulated by perhaps bad government actors who wanted to put propaganda into the system. And we know we've had trouble with that in the past too, that there has been legitimate criticism towards the mainstream media that might have been pushing a particular narrative in a particularly coordinated manner, even though it went through all those vetoing processes. 
Right now, we have an even more complicated situation because we don't even have that sort of verified body. We're trying to make this up as we go along. And we've got these sort of self-appointed watchmen and fact checkers. But who watches the watchmen? Who fact checks the fact checkers? We cannot, as citizens or as consumers or as potential voters, rely on these self-appointed bodies as an arbiter of truth right now. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll be able to get closer to that real truth. But that's simply not something that we have the ability to, to say that it's actually just going to be fine if we follow these, these centralized types of bodies on that side. Which brings me yep, to the other absolutely. point that you raised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or do you want to say something? Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to add one point. You know, that's where, you know, as a consumer, as a citizen, we are relying, we are turning towards brands and not to governments because I believe brands have a big responsibility and an excellent opportunity to protect their customers from information overload or from the misinformation virus. Mm. That's why, you know, we believe uh, the year 2021 marked the birth of a brand care a brand that genuinely cares about its uh, you know, consumers. What can you do to protect your customers from information overload? Look at all the information that is happening uh, you know, around you. Can you build a community platform, right? Where uh, you know, uh, your customers can go and consume the right information or how exactly you're going to keep a check on uh, you know, the fact checkers and other social media platforms, basically. So I think uh, brands have a big opportunity and a responsibility to do a much better job in protecting their customers from, uh, you know, misinformation. Because the brand, at least in theory, should have an aligned incentive with its own customers because they form Absolutely. a part of a symbiotic relationship, which is a bit different to a citizen's relationship with, say, a government or a non-state actor, you know, because those, those ones have a different set of incentives that they work together. And in many ways, the government is both uh, a partner with citizens, but also sometimes an opponent because it's the enforcer of law and order and rules, which might go against the individual's own objectives. So you raise interesting points there. And I do tend to agree that we need these different actors in the system, that this is not something that can be solved by the government or by the private sector alone, because they both have different incentives that work in different directions. And you probably need that, that tension. So otherwise, we end up with a, a purely sort of capitalistic in, uh, incentivized system that can, of course, lead us down particular rabbit holes. We know that we can end up with your sort of Facebook type scenarios that I know many people are very, very critical of. But on the other hand, if you rely solely on government and there's no sort of watchdog checking that, you can also end up with trouble with things like propaganda and all the rest of it. So I think what Absolutely. we're really getting at is that individual citizens have to have some agency in the system too. There is not one single authority from the private sector, from the self-appointed side, or from the state that we can rely on and then be able to rest assuredly in understanding that we are have done our job and we can just allow whatever that information funneled through that particular filter is going to be enough. We have to analyze information through various different filters to get closer towards the truth. Which brings me to the other point I wanted to go back on that you did raise briefly when you're talking about some of the ways that we could solve some of this information overload. And one of the things you mentioned was deferring to sort of citizen watchdogs. So self-enforcing, or if you want to be a little bit more controversial, almost like a, a digital Stussy type system where we all sort of spy on each other and report each other for misinformation. We use the, the least hypothetical wisdom of the crowds to try and zero in on the truth. 
But of course, the wisdom of the crowds is also not good enough on its own because the wisdom and the madness of crowds are not all that different. The only real difference between the two is when you get sort of crazy crowds and you get the madness of crowds and the, the hype cycles of booms and busts and bubbles and all the rest of it. It's like all Charles McKay got into. That's because a crowd is working together as one beast. It's sort of, it's going for the lowest, basest common denominator. So the mob mentality is what happens when crowds are allowed to interact on each other. They seem to drill down and sort of collapse into a black hole of madness. However, the wisdom of crowds can be a viable entity to help us hone in on the truth. And it's logic that's being used quite a lot in the crypto communities and a lot of the blockchain projects that we look at that try to work on the wisdom of crowds, which requires all the different agents within that group to be acting independently without the influence of each other, which sounds great in principle. If you're dealing with computer programs, it's a bit difficult in practice when we are connecting with each other on social networks, even if we are supposed to be acting independently to zero in on the truth. Because wisdom of crowds when masses of individuals are coming to decisions without being influenced by each other have been shown through studies to be quite good at finding the truth. But how do you get that separation so we don't end up with the, with the different sort of problem once again? Do you have any thoughts on the wisdom slash madness of crowds and how we can use independent actors like you're talking about with the whole Twitter programs they've put in place to allow users to report misinformation and you know, WhatsApp's done similar things? How, how effective can those systems be in practice, not in principle, because of the, some of the issues that I've tried to raise today? Yeah, sure. That's a very, very, you know, uh, interesting point that you raised. If you look at, you know, uh, the rise of fake news, right, happens because of crowd, because of people like you and me, right? We are the ones who end up, you know, spreading that information because I I am seeing, uh, you know, feed on my, you know, Facebook, right? And I like it. I really want to share with my, you know, uh, friends and my network without validating whether that information, that piece of information is accurate or not, right? So I think that's where uh, more education, right is required to educate citizens right educate the crowd so before you share an informa information because we are not asking you to become a fact checker at the end of the day but uh, you know some some guiding principles right that can be developed by governments by organizations right so before you share and think these are the three four or five points that you can and should you know consider so i think uh, you know to do uh, to crowd uh, you know part right i think more education is required because uh, unless right we don't educate right uh, the crowd to share the relevant information right we will keep sharing the misinformation will keep promoting the fake news uh you know unintentionally without knowing that you know what we are doing is actually not correct so to me i think uh, a greater job that needs to be done you know from uh, you know telecom from government from it authorities from brands to educate uh, you know customers at the end of the day because we keep talking about you know the upskilling uh, employees, right? We need to upskill employees and all that. What about upskilling your own customers, right? Can we do that? How can we, you know, make uh, customers much more smart when it comes to finding, uh, you know, and knowing whether the information they are sharing is correct or not? So how can you make your own customers, your own uh, citizens, right, much smarter, uh, you know, by leveraging, you know, various tools and also to ensure that they are not, uh, you know, they no, do not end up promoting the, you know, fake news and fake information so i think more job on the education front is needed you know from crowd perspective 
Yeah, you raise a good point there. I think that in essence, we've basically got two levers. If you are looking at this from a sort of policy perspective, if you are a state actor that's trying to solve misinformation, and let's say for the benefit of the conversation, you're a benevolent state actor that only wants the best for the people that you are mandated to look after. You've essentially got two tools. You've either got regulation or you've got education, right? So you can regulate and impose rules upon all the various different actors, upon the individual agents, upon your private sector players, on your businesses, on your NGOs and all the rest. And you can rule it essentially by a control-based system. Or you can opt for more education, which is educating those individual agents to make better choices for themselves. In other words, sort of delegate that responsibility down to individuals making their own choices and hope for the best that you can get those sort of wisdom of crowds effects. If you've got individuals making good choices for themselves, things will hopefully work out. But that requires a lot more trust. And how do you find that balance between trust and control? Because a completely regulated information system is quite dystopian when we start to think about it, because there we're talking about, you know, almost total control of information, quite a lot of censorship required, a lot of check checking and fact checking, which does unfortunately devolve towards some sort of a central authority which can become a central vulnerability and a central point of failure, which is the risk of any sort of control-based system. And the other way, if you go for the education and trust-based thing, you have to rely on a lot of individual agents, many of which you have to accept are going to make some mistakes. And how much risk are you prepared to allow in the system in order to get a bit more security that we are sort of honing in on a on, a, on some sort of degree of common truth, which is required to hold society together. What are your thoughts on that balance and those sort of trade-offs there? And how do we find a middle way? Yeah, so education versus regulation. If you let's let's face it, you know, regulations are always behind the technological advancements, right? And governments and the state actors, they will always be behind. That has happened in the past and it will continue in the future, right? So so the middle ground is right, definitely, yes, uh, you know, finding that middle ground in terms of uh, brands and tech, uh, you know, vendors, right? Taking a more proactive approach. I'm based in India some time ago, you know, WhatsApp ran their uh, TV commercial, you know, their media campaign. Uh, educating uh, you know people right so if you are forwarding a particular message on whatsapp you there is a possibility that you can be booked under a special you know section by the by the government or by the police so be careful right before you forward anything so that that i, I really appreciate it you know whatsapp doing uh, you know more proactive uh, you know measures right educating consumers what and what not to you know forward so that way i think finding the middle ground is uh, it's 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 nothing but all about uh, you know initiatives that are coming both from tech vendors as well as from you know uh, standard organizations traditional organizations right banks educating their customers right what to share what not to share retailers doing the same thing telecom players doing the same thing so once we have these initiatives coming from different verticals, then obviously consumers are going to get much more smarter. They are going to become much more aware of the information that they are sharing and not sharing. So that way, I think it's, it's going to be much more you know, important. We don't need to depend on regulations to come up. Because if you don't do that, to be honest, right, this misinformation virus is going to become so big and it's going to be very, very difficult, you know, to, to control it because we have already seen, you know, uh, elections 
emotions being influenced, right? Some major decisions, right, that are being influenced. So definitely, yes, it's going to become much more, uh, you know, uh, critical in the future. And the situation will only worsen if we do not address that. And we don't need to wait for governments to do it. Sooner or later, definitely, yes, governments will do their part, but we don't need to wait and, uh, you know, wait for governments to take some actions before we start doing, uh, you know, stuff at our end. So we need to be more proactive. And that's where it's a responsibility of both tech platforms and, uh, you know, traditional organizations from education standpoint. We need to start somewhere. Absolutely. And I think that you did touch on the, the crux of it really is that we need to distribute both responsibility and risk. In other words, the, the results of that responsibility, the consequences of those actions throughout the system so that the risk and the responsibility is not concentrated in a couple of hands or with a particular set of agents within our overall social systems. It needs to be distributed across everyone so that companies and governments and individual citizens and consumers all have some sort of a degree of consequence that is being that should be imposed upon them if they are responsible for perpetrating you know bad information throughout the systems would you agree with that that we need to get the risk and reward and the responsibility and the consequences distributed more rather than concentrating in pools Right. What we call, uh, you know, the way we look at this entire scenario is more in terms of the give to get ratio. Okay. So what you are giving and what you are getting in return. So definitely there is going to be a trade off, right? We have been hearing about privacy, for instance, you know, for so many years, right? But nothing has ever happened. <laughs> we continue to share information online. We continue to be on Facebook, continue to, you know, promote uh, the, the content, right? What we like. So, so uh, privacy is a myth, right? And privacy is equal to give to get ratio right we are giving something and we are getting something okay we are getting the free access free information you know free uh, usage of services so on and so forth so that's where you raise a very good point the give to get ratio is something we really need to develop how much you are comfortable sharing and what's you what exactly you're going to get in return from organizations from governments right and if you promote uh, a good behavior in terms of your social media in terms of information you know sharing if you if you if you you know prove a good behavior, then obviously there is going to be some incentives both from the government or from the you know of tech platform. So definitely the give to get ratio is something that needs to be developed. But but the point is we need to do it now because this misinformation virus is already spreading through our communities. And just like it's COVID cousin, you know, it's only a matter of time before it becomes unstoppable. And this time, you know, your masks, lockdowns, hand sanitizer, they won't help us this time. And the vaccine for this particular virus won't take the form of for a quick injection, right? So the vaccine uh, for this misinformation virus is going to be a collective effort, but definitely yes, we really need to start now. We really need some more uh, you know, proactive and aggressive efforts from governments, from uh, you know, organizations and tech vendors to ensure that we are protecting you know, our customers and citizens at the end of the day. Let's take a step a little bit away from this and just go back almost to the beginning, because we've been talking about both mis and disinformation, but most of the conversation we've had so far is really centered on misinformation, which is what I would categorize as accidental or non-deliberate bad information carrying on through the system. So it's almost can be seen as a bit of a broken telephone game or a, an honest mistake or just a, a bad bit of research a headline that people misunderstood. So misinformation is 
natural when it comes to just sort of human communications. It's also hard sometimes to pin down because it is not something there was a deliberate campaign to, you know, distort a particular fact or to achieve a particular end. You could almost say it's sort of emergent untruth that goes around through the system. Whereas disinformation is a bit more insidious. That is deliberate misinformation. So that could be a propaganda campaign from an enemy government. It could be a bad actor in your state that's trying to sow social discord between different groups of the population. It could be a bad advertiser who simply wants to lie about their competitors or to overhype or sell their own product. But disinformation has a strategic component to go with it too. There's a deliberate inputting of bad data or bad insight into the system. Uh, what are your thoughts on how those two different types of bad information, mis and disinformation are playing out in slightly different ways when it comes to our societies and the democracy project at large again? Yeah, so I think sooner or later, right, uh, this disinformation, you know, kind of, uh, kind of a pandemic, you know, that is building around us, right? I think uh, sooner or later, governments and individuals, right, will realize that they are being cheated. And, uh, you know, whether a government or a brand, you know, has uh, taken their, uh, you know, emotions, right, in a, in a, in a wrong way. And, uh, you know, they are selling the stuff, they are, uh, you know, uh, impacting or influencing their decisions in a wrong way. So I think uh, maybe, you know, initially, right, whether a government or a brand, they may get uh, some, you know, initial benefits, but sooner or later, I think they will be caught. And it's going to be a huge, it's going to be a big blow on, uh, you know, a brand on the future of their, you know, finances, right? And the customers will never trust. Just think about it. If Google is going to, you know, give me any wrong information, right? Am I going to trust Google in the future, right? So so, so in a similar way, right? This disinformation, right? If companies or governments are following it, I think they are making a dreadful drink at the end of the day because sooner or later they will be caught and it's going to be a very, very bad scenario for them to face. But for misinformation, so, so it's not only misinformation, but also the information overload, right? So there is information overload, which may or may not be directly linked with misinformation or disinformation, right? Because uh, the information overload is like, I'm consuming information 24 by seven. I may not be, you know, sharing that information, but how is it impacting me as an individual, right? And that's where one of the ideas that we proposed as part of the book, as part of the chapter was, what if our governments could define and implement a healthy information diet? for everyone you know to follow what if we could make uh, healthy information consumption a new attribute for education healthcare and employment so as an employee how much information you are allowed to consume in a day in a week in a month right so so definitely it'll make a you know huge difference at the end of the day so we really need some innovative ideas you know some fresh thinking to protect uh, you know customers uh, and then citizens right from information overload and uh, that uh, piece uh, you know directly or indirectly leads to misinformation or disinformation actually yeah that's some good points there but let's go back to the disinformation question because we do both spend a lot of time looking at both trends and the future and where that's headed and what we start to see in the disinformation space is it's no longer merely human directed. It can also be enhanced by various forms of artificial intelligence and algorithms. And quite quickly, when you follow that thread of logic, you get to the point of things like deep fakes, for example. And you get to the possibility where our mis and disinformation tunnels, the mis and disinformation that I'm receiving compared to the mis and disinformation that you are receiving, 
is becoming more and more divergent. And this, of course, just only accelerates the divisions within our societies. So from a misinformation point of view, it could be as simple as the sort of algorithms that quite sort of supposedly innocently sit on our social media platforms and feed me more of the stuff that I like and feed you more of the stuff that you like. And it sort of sends us down quite different reality tunnels. But on the disinformation space, it can get even more tricky because we have the technology available to us right now to create adaptive, reactive, even emotionally responsive advertisements from a corporate perspective. So if I'm watching a YouTube video and you are too, we'll be fed different adverts based on our browsing history. But increasingly, those different adverts will adapt in real time to how I respond to them, whether it's through my emotions or how long I'm paying attention for, or even up to my breathing. So you know, as we get more and more connected, these things become more and more realistic. They already have been tested in labs, but they're going to get rolled out, much like much of the other technology we've seen. We are very close to the point of having adaptive, reactive, emotionally responsive advertisements, which is one thing when it's trying to sell me a pair of shoes and you're a pair of jeans or whatever the case may be, it becomes a bit more destructive to the fabric of society when those advertisements are actually being used to dynamically adapt my response to a political policy. We pick a contentious issue like something like a Brexit, for example. You know, if I'm being fed different promises and different ideas by a politician that's speaking to you and giving you a slightly different message in order to manipulate our output, then we start to see that mis and disinformation have accelerating effects on our divisions. It's a lot faster, deeper process than mere human mis and disinformation, which is something we've had to grapple with throughout the start of humanity. We've always had to find a way to trust each other or not and to put various different central bodies in to mitigate that, those sorts of effects of distrust in the system. But what are your thoughts on the future of to where this is headed when we start to layer adaptive, reactive, responsive, artificial intelligence to our information flows? I think we are heading towards the world of uh, machine versus machine war, right? Good AI versus bad AI, to be honest. Even the bad actors in the society, they have access to, you know, all the algorithms, right? Third-party tools that are available. So they can create a bad AI at the end of the day. And that bad AI can be injected, you know, as part of your product offering, as part of your government offering. It can be, you know, used in any way. But the challenge now is to build immunity, you know, against that bad AI. So how will you do that? And that's where fighting back requires an intelligent machine. Okay. So you really need a good AI. You really need to build an algorithm, the system that can, uh, you know, sense uh, the, 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 you know, the indirect ways of influencing, you know, uh, people's mind. You really need to detect those threats. And then take corrective actions. Either you can inform citizens directly, your consumers directly, or you can block that AI to, you know, offer any more uh, service or any more, you know, product basically, right? At the end of the day. So I think uh, this, this, this good versus bad AI, this notion is going to become much more uh, irrelevant, you know, in the future because bad AI is going to influence us in the wrong way and good AI can help, you know, can protect us from those bad actors. And that's where if you are a government, right, how exactly you're going to leverage AI to protect your citizens from, you know, the, the bad AI. And if you are a bank, if you are a retailer, 
what sort of uh, you know algorithms that you are going to use right to ensure that uh, you know your customers are not getting influenced with the, any xyz things that they are seeing on social media platforms so i think uh, this is uh, the, it it may sound uh, you know quite quite uh, uh, quite uh, you know funny but just think about it you know the good versus bad ai is becoming a reality and it's going to become much more uh, you know relevant in uh, the future so that's my take you know how to control this disinformation you know pieces uh, we need to build more good ai to you know fight against the bad ai that is there and uh, much more bad ai we will see in the future Let's talk about the incentives there. So let me start to roll that scenario out. So you're essentially getting to a sort of adversarial AI arms race, right? So between good and bad actors. When does that end? Because the game theory equilibrium is quite different here to how it is with, say, nuclear warfare during the Cold War, where we got to a sort of stalemate of mutually assured destruction. Do we get to the same point with adversarial AI, particularly when we start to think about things a bit further down the line, like what futurists talk about, ideas like the singularity and one AI to rule us all? Is this a winner-takes-all scenario, or is this a sort of endless arms race to, to wear, or where does it end? Yeah, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon, to be honest, right? We are still in the early phase of, you know, AI uh, magic, what we are experiencing. We are still in the very early phase. As machines are going to become much more smarter, obviously, you know, we will witness the unknown, right, consequences of uh, machines, right, influencing us or machines delivering biased or negative outcomes, you know, to do us. Uh, so definitely, yes, as machines are going to become much more smarter, what would really need to do is right we really need to create new rules okay we have to invest in create because sometime ago we did this very interesting report 21 jobs and 21 more jobs of the future as part of these two reports we have created 42 new rules that we believe are going to be you know critical in the future and uh, one of the rules that we created as part of these two reports is machine risk officer so how do we know right whether machines are delivering the uh, right outcome and they are not biased and not they are not delivering you know any negative uh, uh, result right because uh, this could have a huge impact on government as well as on brands so what to do about it you really need to invest in creating new rules and it's not just technology someone who can understand someone who can uh, you know create new policies someone uh, who can actually help us uh, conduct a formal risk assessment you know to protect uh, your digital assets to protect your uh, you know customers create new policies educate customers educate citizens so we really need to define new rules so I believe there it's not going to be there is no end to be it, to be honest. Right. But definitely what we really need is to protect, uh, you know, ourselves against the bad AI. We really need to create new rules that can help us, uh, you know, protect uh, from these bad actors that are there in the society. But there is no clear answer to be to it, to be honest. Right. Because we are still in the early phase. We are still learning. As and when we are going to experience more, uh, you know, uh, more issues, right? Uh, when it comes to the uh, bad AI outcomes, right? Obviously, uh, there is going to be a knee-jerk reaction from governments, from organizations, what to do about it, so on and so forth. So, so definitely, we need to start thinking about it because it's not going to end, uh, you know, anytime soon. It's only going to increase the bad AI, the disinformation is only going to increase, and the only way we we cannot stop it, to be honest, but the only way we can minimize the impact of it is by creating, you know, new rules, by creating new policies and uh, ensuring that uh, new platforms that you are developing, you know, they have the good AIPs injected in it so that we can sense and try to minimize the impact of it. But we can't just stop it. 
Good points. But let's go on to a slightly different trade-offs. We've spoken about, you know, the differences between centralization and uh, going from for the user-generated sort of sources of trying to control this and about good versus bad AI and all the rest. But what we didn't really get into was the differences in terms of the way our information systems are structured, specifically the more centralized internet that we have right now, which policymakers, should they wish, can put up things like firewalls, which many governments have done, in order to try and sort of contain that spread of bad and good ideas within certain sort of digital firewalls. But we are seeing the emergence right now of the decentralized so-called blocknet, right? The sort of the, the permissionless, borderless, decentralized crypto version of whatever web point 3.0, whatever you want to call it, is emerging, which creates a whole lot of different both opportunities and threats for the flow of mis and disinformation. On the positive side, it is designed more around the wisdom rather than the madness of crowds by decentralizing nodes within that network. You do get some of those more positive network effects when it comes to truth finding, truth keeping and truth sharing. But at the same time, it's also harder to stop or to shut off. So we can get to a point where you sort of get the tyranny of the, of the majority within those networks, that sort of consensus that gets to decide something is being true, even if the consensus is completely wrong. I know there are ways around that with things like oracles and various different ways to filter information. But what are your thoughts about the complexity as we move from the internet as we know it, which can be splintered and firewalled towards the more decentralized Web 3.0 block net type space. What is the next wave of challenges we're going to see there? Because it's slightly different to the AI question. This is more about how information is being fed through to people. Right. Um, in organizations, you know, there is a thing called shadow IT. Okay. So shadow IT is all about your employees are using applications that your IT department has no clue about. Okay. Uh, so IT department, usually they try to centralize, you know, everything. Okay. So we are going to centralize, we are going to protect our system. We will have the centralized, you know, way of accessing information, accessing apps, so on and so forth. But still 35 to 40% of employees, they end up using applications that IT has no clue about. Okay, so I think it's it's uh, it's sort of a myth that uh, we are going to you know control the information. We cannot control it, to be honest, right? Whether you are a government or you are an organization, you can't control it. People will find one or the other way to access information, whether you like it or not. But that's a hard reality. So instead of uh, you know making it centralized, right? What we really need to do is how can we minimize the impact of any you know bad things that are coming out of that information? So I think governments, organizations need to focus more on minimizing the impact rather than trying to control the information because you can't control it you can become a facilitator of it you know and how exactly you're going to facilitate that information that is the key and that's where you know whether it's web 3.0 or others uh, you know uh, ways of looking at it definitely you know all these ideas are welcome but i think uh, usually the governments they have this tendency of controlling the information which i believe uh, it's not going to help in the long run because at the end of the day uh, citizens consumers they are smart enough to find their own way to get uh, an access to information unless you are living in china I suppose so, but even there, you've got a whole lot of different applications that can allow you to use various different tools to get what you need if you have enough of a demand for it. There's sort of ways and means around. Of course, the consequences of getting caught are variously different that might put a lot of people off. 
But like you say, when it comes to information, it's almost like water, right? It's going to find the point of yep. least resistance and find a way to flow around that. You can dam it up for so long, but obviously when those dams break and those firewalls crack, you're going to end up with even more severe consequences than if you had rather focused on how to guide that flow rather than stop yep. that flow altogether, which is, I think, what, you, what you're trying to say there. So try and shape the conversation, even if you can't control all the various different you know, facts or more fallacies being thrown around the particular issue, which does lead to an interesting point, because what that really points to is that it's not he who controls the data that controls the future. It's more a case of he who gets to shape the narrative or tell a story. So the best story wins at the end of the day. So it becomes more almost a creative challenge when it comes to leadership and governance and power, rather than a purely technical one. Would you agree with that? Because so many of these conversations around data and information focus on the pure technical side, and they forget about the power of human connections, stories, and narratives, which are often softer skills, but can often have bigger impacts as to flow of not just data, but throw of knowledge, wisdom, and information. Right. So yeah, I couldn't agree more, to be honest, right? Because uh, uh, this is not a technological challenge, right? Misinformation and disinformation, it's a societal challenge. And in order to address it, right, we have to, uh, we have to, you know, educate our people, we have to, you know, equip them with the relevant, uh, you know, piece of information with the relevant tools that they can leverage, so that we can minimize the impact of mis or the disinformation at the end of the day. So I completely agree, right? Uh, technology is not the solution. Technology is just a way to get it done. But ultimately, the narratives, the stories that you talked about, definitely, Yes, these are the ways uh, you know organizations and governments should be following to ensure that you know they are uh, protecting their customers, their citizens at the you know end of the day. So yes, the storytelling, the narration part makes a lot of sense uh, to to you know equip uh, the the customers and citizens right with the right set of tools and the right set of knowledge what they really need rather than trying to control it at the end. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about social systems, which are human constructs, which involve messy human beings, which are not so easy to control with simple rules and bits and bytes yep. and trying to program it. You know, we're much, we're much more erratic than that. So you have to kind of work with human nature and make sure the incentives are, are correct in place to at least try and guide those flows towards a particular outcome, even if you can't force its entire journey throughout the, the system per se. That's where that's why I think organizations and governments, right? What they really need is new rules like psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, you know, these are the people who understand the human psyche, the human behavior. What they really need to do is inject human science into the technology piece, you know, into the technology initiative that they are pursuing, because at the end, humans are going to use the technology and no matter how great or how secure your systems are, you know, things will not change unless humans are, you know, taking the initiative to get it changed. So how to, you know, uh, how to, uh, how to promote that, uh, you know, behavior, how to incentivize, you know, people, as you said, right. And that's where I think, uh, you know, organizations and governments need to be more focused on having these sort of people as part of their core technology team so that uh, you know they can deliver the right solutions at the right time to ensure that the human behavior is being incentivized or being promoted basically yeah absolutely as we've really discussed today there's not a single easy fix it's a messy complicated wicked, wicked problem which needs to be approached from that same perspective and like with most messy wicked complicated complex problems 
you can't necessarily fix them by imposing a simple set of rules. Whatever rule you create creates a different loophole, a different incentive that can be exploited. So you can't fix misinformation by simply creating a rule, a list of rules of things you can and cannot say. Mere censorship does not solve these problems. In fact, inadvertently, as soon as you try and censor a particular viewpoint, you give that viewpoint more credit within the markets because why would you be preventing me from saying this if it's not important, right? So you can only really you know, address things like mis and disinformation through sunlight rather than creating more sort of shade, if you want to put it that way. We need more emergent solutions rather than impose top-down solutions. I don't know if you agree with that. Yes, I do. Right. And uh, there is no silver bullet, you know, to address this uh, you know, problem, to be honest. And as you rightly pointed out, you know, we really need new tools, new jobs, new rules, new set of people in our system. And ultimately, we have to figure out how to encourage, you know, that this, uh, you know, this human behavior to address the problem, because that's going to be, that's not going to be only individuals or only governments or corporates, you know, responsibility. All of us need to come together. And I think, uh, to be honest, we should be fine at the end. Why? Because if you look at previous technological, you know, revolutions, right, obviously, uh, at, at that time, we had gone through similar problems, not at the same scale, but definitely, you know, in the previous industrial revolutions, right, we have seen the disruption happening you know, people moving out of jobs or people, you know, getting concerned about their future and so on and so forth. So I think uh, we now in this fourth industrial revolution, you know, obviously experiencing this different set of problem and that is this misinformation or the disinformation virus, which is going to become a much bigger threat to the overall society. And it's better that we address it now because if we don't do it, right, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a loss loss situation for everyone in the society, be it government, individuals or corporates. So it's more of a collective effort, but we really need to start thinking about uh, ways through which we can, uh, you know, address or try to minimize, you know, the impact of uh, the mess or the disinformation virus. I think you've summed that up very well. And that's a good point to leave this conversation today. So I do want to give you the last opportunity to connect any dots that we've left hanging or, you know, tidy up any of those loose threads. And then if you could also tell people where they can find you if they want to continue this conversation or work with you in the future. I think uh, we discussed, so I think we covered almost all the points, right? So th thanks again, you know, for having me as part of the show, right? And uh, people who want to connect with me, I'm available on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Manish.Behel. Uh, that's my LinkedIn ID, or you can simply search my name in, uh, you know, uh, LinkedIn search bar. And uh, and also, right, uh, feel free to reach out to me, drop a note uh, through my email ID, Manish.Behel at Cognizant.com. I'll be happy to take the discussion forward and, uh, you know, learn from uh, you know everyone on what they are working on and what are their thoughts on the future of information slash misinformation yeah absolutely it's a it's literally a topic that affects all of us because we're communicating whether we intend to or not every time we come into contact with each other but thank you so much again for coming on the show and we'd love to chat with you again sometime thanks thanks Bronwyn. have a great day bye Thanks.